So what's, uh, let's do a quick like origin story of you in Latvia all the way up to maybe right before you joined La Palme in 2011. Like, what do you like as a kid? What sports are you playing? What, you know, are you dreaming of becoming a pro cyclist? As a kid, I was pretty active, uh, played all kinds of different sports, um, picked up cycling when I was 15. Uh, yeah, just after turning 15, uh, which is fairly late for like pros, pros, but because uh, there's quite a few guys that started at the age of eight, which <laughs> seems crazy to me. But I think actually having a different background in different sports has helped me in my career. And uh, I'm definitely grateful that I have not only been riding my bike for my life. Um, Let me ask yeah, you real quick, kid, what, what other sports yeah. were you playing and which one do you think had the most positive effect on your cycling? Actually, I did, yeah, I did judo for quite a long time, uh, for five years. And uh, that definitely helps in all kinds of ways, just being uh, actually athletic and being, uh, I think, um, yeah, able to roll when you crash, <laughs> so to say. Uh, but I also played ice hockey uh, for a while there. And uh, that's definitely the sport I enjoyed the most, I think. But, uh, and I think actually it also helps with uh, kind of understanding how the movement is, even though it's a totally different sport, but in ice hockey or any team sports, uh, any ball team sports or whatever, you really learn to read how the movements go and how the race, yeah, race develops. Uh, and I think that has helped me to, just learn faster uh, to move around in the peloton and read the race a little bit better. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I've it, actually, there was, I can't remember who was talking about other sports transitioning into whatever their main sport is like really high level athletes. And I've always thought for myself, I played basketball and volleyball a lot and court awareness. It just helps me understand where are other riders, not only on my team, but, where are the hitters at? And just like you're saying, the things unfold, it's almost a little bit slower at times. And I really think that is part of basketball. You got to see your man, the ball, like, and there's a lot going on. Uh, that's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, maybe it's all bull, but I feel like <laughs> it's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you start, who got you into cycling when you were 15? Actually at the time, uh, my sister was dating uh, this guy that actually is still quite a good friend and uh, still is uh, quite involved in my cycling. And he took me to a mountain bike race um, just before I turned 15. And then after I turned 15, I actually joined a club and uh, started racing both mountain bike and road. That's awesome. And you obviously just fell more in love with road. Uh, not necessarily. I really enjoy mountain biking. I still, every off season, I mountain bike. I don't really touch my road bike much, uh, in November, December, except at training camps. Um, but, uh, yeah, mountain biking is fun. I mean, it's just, I think it was, um, there was a better path forwards in, uh, road cycling. I mean, I did mountain biking all the way up until, yeah, up until I turned, pro just because i mean 
yeah, maybe when I went to La Palma, I did it a little bit less because I was racing in France quite a lot. But yeah, that was a team I could get on. Whereas there was no real, there's no real mountain bike teams you can really jump into. And mm -hmm. I think that was kind of why it went in that direction instead of yeah, the other. Makes sense. When you're doing November, December, and you're getting off the bike, what are you doing to just stay fit and active? What do you like to do? I'm. Uh, <laughs> for people not watch this there was a big smirk that came out so i'm really curious about that <laughs> uh i definitely do all kinds of interesting things in the off season um <laughs> to stay fit um one year when uh when i was when i had a collarbone surgery to get a better plate in because the plate that i had in moved uh i did quite a lot of roller skates I did like 40k roller skating sessions okay a few times a week uh, a few years ago 2019 i played ice hockey two three times a week um then a few years back even further back i was like just because there was not enough snow i was roller skating uh roller skiing a lot as well mm -hmm. that was fun i do a lot of things in the off season but i mean instead of yeah sometimes i hike for six hours also which is fun but that's really uh, that's on my agenda today i'm looking at like rainy I, I don't know the centigrade but it's like 50 and i'm like i'm not i don't think i'm biking in that today i'm gonna go for a hike somewhere yeah. and i've wanted to get to this one peak but it's just it's too far for a normal day but now that there's no more racing it's like all right today's the day to go die on the mountain yeah. walking yeah and i mean i think it helps a lot but uh like and anything you can do off the bike helps quite a lot but um, yeah, definitely. No matter which different thing I choose for that particular off season to like do more than the others, there's always the base of yeah, quite a lot of gym work, uh, lifting weights, uh, and uh, definitely running as well, just for some good bone density. Um, and yeah, having fun on the mountain bike. Awesome. What's the, what type of lifting are you doing? Any type of program? Or are you just going in there and doing lifts that you like? I've, I've worked with uh, different strength coaches here and there. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed lately. Erin Carson works out of Boulder. Uh, worked with her for quite a while and she has a bunch of uh, videos and accessible things you can do from far away as well. So I actually have been using those as well while, uh, while not with her. And uh, yeah, those movements I really like. It's just, it's a lot about stability. It's a lot about uh, um, like getting the body moving and uh, yeah, just making sure that all the, yeah, the stability is there pretty much and that you can actually do heavy lift also afterwards. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I'll have to look her up. And uh, we've had a few strength coaches on and one that coaches Ashton Lambie, the most recent one, he does a lot of lifting by RPE, which I was like, how does that even work? And the program, it's like, it was actually really interesting to hear him talk about it. Uh, I'm going to look her up and see it's The gym is just one of those things for cyclists that I think most people know that it's important, but they don't necessarily know what to do. And then they're like, where do I start? And so I've just been trying to gather more information and give people more options and just talk about it. Cause I started 
I lifted and then I stopped. And then I, once I really got into it, I saw a massive benefit to it. Um, so that's, yeah, it's good to hear. Aaron works a lot with triathletes uh, okay. as well in Boulder because, I mean, Boulder in general is a triathlete uh, stomping ground. Nice. And she is a triathlete or was a triathlete. And, uh, yeah, she helps both cyclists and not just cyclists. Yeah. Cool. So kind of diving into some of the training stuff, really open-ended question. What do you think is the most important aspect of your training? Oof. Yeah, I mean, I think consistency is the most important. And it, But, yeah, consistency really is... Uh, it's uh, good I to hear. That's a very consistent answer from all of you men and women that come on here. It's just like, just keep doing it. Yeah, I, th- I think especially in the beginning for anyone that's starting or anyone that's, yeah, restarting or whatever, it's all about making sure you do it enough because, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's a better solution than you'll get better as as it goes just because you do it more. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. So then what do you think, when you think of your training, how do, how do you think about it in terms of volume and intensity? Well, there's definitely like, yeah, periods where volume trumps intensity. Uh, I don't touch much into, uh, yeah, November, December, January. Okay. I don't do much intensity there, even though I guess mountain biking is not really leisurely pace either. (laughs) Uh, I guess guess structured intensity is more what I'm thinking. Okay. Uh, I don't really do that in, yeah, maybe mid, late January is when it starts to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, but up until then, it's just, yeah, more about being fit, being a human first, uh, cyclist second. Yeah. Um, that's always been kind of what I look, look at things. But, um, yeah, I mean, you hit anywhere like 30-hour weeks, sometimes a little bit more. Um, I don't really go crazy, crazy hour weeks. Cause I know that people that do also 40 hour weeks, but I feel like that's a bit unnecessary. Is that gym um, and bike time or is that just riding? No, nah, that's just bike time. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Um, yeah, people are, I mean, you can start counting all the hours you also, I don't know, walk to the store then if you're counting, but no, no, I'm talking just bike time um <laughs> it's a, that's a yeah. that's a legit question though people are like i stretch for 15 minutes what css do i put i'm like dude come on man. yeah 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 i think you just mine put minus tss if you actually stretch and foam roll and stuff um that's interesting. but yeah intensity intensity definitely starts creeping in uh january late january and then really hitting proper intensity like March when you're getting, well, also you obviously in February already, you start hitting intensity with the racing, mm-hmm. but training wise intensity really, really ramp it up. Um, yeah. In March, April, but I don't necessarily cut back the hours too much. Okay. So, which I don't know if it is good or bad, but that's the way it is. You ever read road. Uh, it's a different topic. Do you, with intensity, so you're just like you had said, you start maybe racing in February, but really the like 
true bulk of intensities coming in March and April. Is that just because it's a long season and you know that if you start it in January to prepare for things in February, you're not going to, you're just going to fizzle out or what's the thought? It's always tough. I know for amateurs, they're like, well, I'm racing. I need to be ready for it. And I mean, I struggle with it sometimes too. You don't want to go to the start line. You know, you can beat so-and-so, but like you just haven't been hitting it, but you know, you want to still be racing in August. How do you, what's the thought process there? I mean, it's all about your goals. It's all about where you want to hit your stride. If you want to win races in February, March, and that's what you care about, then yeah, you need to do intensity in December, January. Mm -hmm. But if you're okay, not being at your best in February, then of course you wait till the big races show up and then you're actually there Mm -hmm. performing. It's good to hear that though, because it's very hard. I think when, an athlete is in the trees doing their workouts and they show up to that race and they know that they're waiting for like amateur nationals in June. And then they don't do super well in February. And they're like, what, what did I do all winter? It's like, dude, it's you, your goal is still down the road. Like it's okay to come into form. And so to hear you mention that, I think it's a good reinforcement. Um, what's uh, is there any small thing that has, a, has had a big impact on your training? Maybe it's something that you've learned in your years of experience. Well, I think what people forget about most is just the nutrition side of things. Mm. Uh, Not necessarily everyone, but there's definitely, that is definitely a big component because you can try and go out for the hardest interval effort uh ride you want but if you're not fueled enough it's not going to be quality and any ride it's not going to be quality if you're not fueled well enough uh and that kind of like or you're not going to recover well enough if you don't eat enough Mm post-ride so it's always yeah i think that's what people forget that it's not just the training that it's also the way you actually recover and fuel for the training because that's where you actually will get the benefits out of the training you are doing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit in more detail about what are you doing the day or maybe the night before a big training session where, you know, it's going to be super hard efforts. Are you, and do you think, do you believe in carb loading? If so, do you have like, how do you manage that? It's a big one for a lot of people. I definitely don't carb load too much in training. Uh, but I also don't, run on empty so i i don't need to carb load because mm-hmm. i mean in in training that the the hard efforts will never be that long that you will really not be able to consume both the dinner before plus breakfast plus on the bike you'll not be able to consume enough uh to keep the glycogen levels up mm-hmm. so i think what i what i always do is have a actual good dinner the day before uh, a hard effort session and then good breakfast and make sure that I fuel on the bike. And that's, that's pretty much what does it. Cool. Does that change for any races or is that pretty standard protocol for a one day race? Yeah. Depending on the race, you definitely start uh, fueling a little bit more out. I think, yeah, if we're talking about uh, just this past weekend, Sunday, then I definitely started, um, bumping up the intake of carbs a little bit earlier let's say two days out but also i mean not necessarily just eating like crazy but uh 
yeah, just making sure that I have carbs with every meal and they're high quality carbs and it's not uh, just peanuts, but it's a solid amount. What do you consider high quality carbs? What are you going for? I like starches. I like potatoes as always, but uh, yeah, rice, oatmeal for breakfast, maybe. Um, yeah, right. Uh, cool. I mean, I, I don't do pasta too much, uh, but I do rice quite a lot. Is that just personal preference? You just don't care for pasta that much? Uh, I don't do well with uh, gluten, so uh, I avoid this for that particular reason. So would you, do you think it's then like, you know, there's a lot of people that would be like, ask him how many grams of carbs he eats. So do you think it's safe to say for a second, just lean your diet towards carbs maybe the day before a bigger training day or race and don't, you know, like you said, you're not overeating and stuffing yourself so you go to bed feeling sick but just always have carbs with every meal and maybe a few extra. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that is, I don't really, there are definitely people that try and hit like, I don't know, whatever grams of carbs per kilo, but uh, yeah, it's too big of a pain in the ass. It is. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I mean, if, if you listen to your body, your body's going to tell you what you need. And if you didn't feel well enough for one time, you're going to know the next time. So that's okay. That's because there's newer cyclists. You're like, well, I don't know my body. Like I've only been doing this for two years. Like I don't, my body tells me to eat Cheetos. And so I think you nailed it there. Like listen to your body. If you, if it doesn't work out, like take notes on that and change it for the next time. And it's this like experimenting and learning about yourself of what's going to work for you will give you the best quote unquote carb load. Um, you think, would you agree with that? I mean, I mean, it's very true. Like, and that's the thing, like people are very individual and what works for one mm-hmm. 2.2 grams or 5.7 grams or whatever <laughs> is not going to work for another person. And right. you really have to be yeah, cognizant about like just amounts. And if you don't want to carry a food scale around all the time in every single day of your life and every restaurant you go to, then I mean, that's the yeah. only way to do it. Yeah what's uh have you ever felt like you trained too much or maybe your training was off a little bit i definitely don't shy away from training um i've been trying to cut back on training actually (laughs) because every year i'm like fuck it well sorry Uh, (laughs) every every year i'm like oh man i hit more than thirty thousand kilometers again and then this year i was like oh august i got sick i got married and like, I only did like less than 2000 kilometers. I mean, I think this year, finally, I'm going to be under. And again, at Worlds, I hit more than 30,000 kilometers. So it's not really going the way I wanted it to. <laughs> but um, I have cut back a little bit on the kilometers and the hours, obviously. But um, there are times when I feel like I don't ease off before races. Mm um enough to be actually doing well in the races Mm -hmm. but then again we go to the same scenario where you have to choose which races you want to do well at because we do so many races a year that you can't actually paper for every single race Mm -hmm. so you do come fatigued into races and you do just tough like yeah tough it out Mm -hmm. and just suffer through and it gives you a good, good good boost on the back end there so I am going to try next year actually to ease off more often before races, but still having the balance to actually not uh, 
not just yeah taper for every single bike race so what will you do for a taper when you say taper what is what would that entail maybe maybe what what's your plan for next year if you'd be willing to share that like what do you when do you want to take the time off because this is a tricky one for a lot of people to nail yeah but i I think it's tricky because everyone is individual some people like we have some guys on the team that will ride like three four hour ride the rate the day before the race and do efforts there uh i definitely don't do this okay uh but let's say for worlds roubaix i was really cutting back on the intensity let's say the last hard ride i would do if roubaix was on or worlds was on sunday i think when uh no actually tuesday was the last hard ride i did okay uh and then wednesday i just did endurance thursday off oh no sorry that is wrong so wednesday last hard session thursday just riding friday off saturday openers and sunday race cool i think and the last like and the last session of efforts you also have to remember to listen if you're you don't have to go all the way to till you're like puking on the side of the road that's not necessary you've already done the work if you feel like maybe you're still carrying a bit of fatigue it's better to just ease off and uh cut back on an hour or whatever and maybe not ride that that much more the next day it's i mean you have to feel good when you feel good then you don't really need to train anymore then you're feeling good (laughs) yeah it's interesting uh i don't do much of tapering and just because i blog and post videos and stuff people will be like dude this is really interesting you don't seem to rest a ton i'm like well imagine yourself going to a race after a rest week you feel like garbage and there's an interesting paper uh, my coach that I just started working with this year is Tom Bell from the UK, and he pointed this out to me. It's actually from Nordic skiers, so it's not exactly the same as cycling, but it's called Road to Gold. If you Google it, it's super interesting. They were talking about how there's all these like theoretical best ways to taper, these two-week tapers, all this stuff, and they're like, no one's actually ever really tested this, though, on like Olympic national caliber killer athletes. And when they followed, I think it was – it was either 11 or 30 athletes. It was a small sample, but just like a unique uh, look at this. And they like none of them really taper that much. They're doing exactly what you're saying. It was like some even increased training a little bit and they just did it by feel. And uh, so it's interesting to hear you say that. I I like that one too. Like Tuesday, hard effort, keeps everything in the legs. I feel like if you rest too much, you just feel kind of crummy. No, for sure. I mean, I would, I would train like, like normal all the way up until the last block of training that you would do before a race and just maybe cut back a little bit on the hours in the block and make sure the last day is not the hardest day. Mm-hmm. And then you just make sure that you recover one or two days and you're good to go. And when you say block, meaning a week or is, or four, uh, three days usually. Okay. okay. Usually do three days. So like, yeah. I was, some people say a block of training is in like four weeks. Yeah. Other people say a block is in like a week. No. Like, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about racing a little bit. What's, uh, you know, look back, you have incredible results, man. It's amazing to have someone like you on this podcast. Uh, I think everybody should just go back at like pro cycling stats and, or even Wikipedia is like, whoa, dude, the experience that you have and the success you've had is incredible. I'm curious, what result are you most proud of? There's definitely a few that stand out. Um, but personally, I think the one that I'll remember the most is uh, when I was still on a county team, Hinkapi's team. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and we won, or I won the stage in California mm-hmm. and got the leader's jersey. And I think the reason why it's that is just because it was uh, like the little guys sticking it to the big guys. Yeah. And uh, like also because it was our biggest race of the year and it, all the sponsors were there and all the team staff was there. And I think that's why. Uh, because obviously if you look at caliber wise races, there's maybe others you could argue that are bigger. Um, but I think that one is the one that's the closest to heart, let's say. That's awesome. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> that squad, I looked back at the 2015, right? I think yeah. that squad is a hit squad. You look at everybody on that list and it's just like, you know, a lot of good riders and it's like eight just boss ass killers man is awesome what's what how do you view like you know we're talking about wins but you even got to wear a polka dot jersey at tour de france like does that stand out to you as like holy cow i can't believe that happened or if you didn't you know you don't win it though i mean just wearing that jersey to amateur we're like holy cow how do you feel about that i mean that's got to feel incredible too yeah for sure it was cool um it was a cool week or so that i had it and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if I had brought it to Paris, it would be a different story, but, uh, it's definitely something I'll remember. And just because of the buzz around the tour and how much, yeah, there's media coverage and how many people pay attention. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's what makes it special. Uh, if in any other bike race, pretty much you're where you wear a Jersey of some kind for a day or two then it doesn't really hit, hit hit any any alarm bells but that one yeah you definitely felt the uh, felt the tension and felt uh, that resonates not just in uh, your normal circles but also outside of them that's cool so that's kind of looking backwards looking forwards what do you think is your biggest goal race if you're willing to put that out there i mean i definitely always enjoy riding the classics one day races um i'm hoping actually next year to switch it up a little bit i've been riding a lot of the ardennes but hopefully next year i actually get to do also well also mostly cobbles actually um because i've been enjoying them i mean i always did but uh lately i've last year i did a few this year i did roubaix obviously so it was like yeah i kind of want to do that a bit more and Roubaix actually was one of the goals uh, that I wanted to actually do because it's it was the last monument that I was missing. Mm. So doing Roubaix for the first time this year was definitely a good addition to start. <laughs> uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I think I would like to do that again. But um, besides the classics, it doesn't really matter which one I would like to do well in. Uh, I enjoy all of them. I'm not one that says, oh, Roubaix is the end-all be-all or Flanders is the end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like every every single of one of those is pretty freaking cool and they all have their beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, every single time I line up for Worlds, it's always a big, a big goal every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, just hopefully a good course comes along and then we can actually go for a nice result as well. That's awesome. You're the first person that's actually finally said that. I'm like, how is everybody not saying world champion? Like, that's got to be. And I, you know, granted, everybody doesn't want to come on this little podcast and be like, I want to be world champion and put that out there. But it's got to be a big, I mean, just 
I can only imagine how special and incredible that feels and wearing your country's Jersey. And there's, how does the vibe work when you're not with your normal teammates? And I mean, are you, you obviously cross paths. It's a small pool of athletes. You keep in touch probably with people from your country, but you're not grinding it out with them day in and day out. How is that? How does that come together on worlds? Is it easy breezy or is it, you know, if it's a nice guy, you're just, it's gotta be different, right? It's a different feel. It definitely is a different feel. Um, but we are not a big country. We only have right. four riders on the start line. And I think for different countries, it's very different. Like if you have a standout leader, then I don't think anyone struggles to come uh, together for that one goal. Mm. Um, and obviously it's also depends on the coaches that are there and what the coaches decide and how the coaches actually approach it. So that's why sometimes we see world teams that work great together and world teams that pretty much are chasing each other down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, it is different. I mean, in our case, I actually do race with one of my teammates. We're on the same team, AKA Trek Sigafredo. And that's 50% of the whole squad at worlds. So it's not that, that uncommon. <laughs> But, um, yeah, and I mean, Latvia is so small that, you know, every single person and you race with them and like it's the relationships are pretty tight anyways, because we all grew up racing together. Um, so it's never, never really a problem to, yeah, help out or get help. Yeah. It's interesting when you look back at like your nationals list of like who came, who was on the podium, it's like, it's like first, third, second, like everybody, like you guys are just all like getting after it and there's like five of you over the past 15 years just all right who's winning this year let's go yeah pretty much yeah pretty much. what's the so you kind of talked about the week before races in terms of nutrition but is there any type of routine that you like to kind of that you sort of find yourself falling into that just helps you feel ready you mentioned like hey the training's already done you just got to stay sharp and go execute now are there any little things that you're doing that make you feel good going into a big race uh, I don't know. No, not really. Uh, I think going into any big race, I just am very excited to race again. And uh, that's all I need, really. Yeah. That's cool. Someone gives me a number, I get I get a smile on my face. It's like, let's go. It's like the Pavlovian response. Like once I start painting a bit, uh, number on my jersey, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. Let's do this thing. It's awesome. What's um so we kind of talk about the nutrition. People always ask, I'm not a big tech guy, but everyone's always curious about equipment and um make it a sponsor plug, you don't have to. What's kind of like anything unique about your setup or and and then well, I'm bad at asking two questions at once. Anything unique about your setup right now? Well, we are very fortunate uh on this team because Trek actually owns the team and they make sure we have it all. Uh, so yeah, we have always, I think the, not many teams anymore get to choose a different bike, but we have both always on, uh, available for us, the Madone and the Monda. So we always can choose depending on what the race is going to be like, what, what our job is going to be there. We can choose the bike that we want. Um, Mm. and that's really I think that doesn't happen often, but I really appreciate that. And I think that's, uh, that's really nice to have that in your back pocket. Or for Roubaix, you get another bike, the Damani, obviously. And yet again, it's 
it makes a big difference if you're writing that or an Amanda, for example. Mm-hmm. For normal road race, what tire size are you using these days? We ride 25s mostly. Okay. Has that and then has that changed? I mean, I guess you won 23s back in the day because now bigger. Everyone's going huge now. It seems like. Um, yeah, 23s were uh, were there for quite a while. I kind of I think maybe 21s were when I was still a junior, maybe even younger than 21s were floating around. But yeah. I mean, even the the ones that say 25, sometimes they're like 26, 27. Yeah. They measure 26, 27. I had, uh, I was doing an adventure ride up in Vermont and my buddy was like, you can't ride these 25s. He gave me quote unquote thirties. I measured them to 33. It was like, a. it actually felt awesome to ride. I still have them on my road bike and descending is insane. You're just like, just trying to go faster. (laughs) What's the, so being a world tour athlete, you have to have a coach. Are you super involved in your own training? Do you just like to follow what a coach prescribes for you? How does that uh, relationship work best for you i am definitely one that likes to understand what i'm doing why i'm doing and to have also input and express what i feel that i need mm-hmm. so yeah i always chat with my coach and we always talk on uh what are going to be the go-tos this week or what what's the next goal what what is going to be like the training how did you feel in the previous race like what did you feel like you were missing or mm-hmm. obviously me, I was missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely, yeah, I think I would be sort of capable of coaching myself, but then I would train too much. So I always need someone to just keep me in check. Totally. That's why I have a coach or else I'd ride all damn day and just overdo it. And I've done that to myself. It's, but yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun to do. So is that the biggest guide? Is that the sort of the most north star for your coach to help you out is what were you missing like and that's how you decide what you need to work on as opposed to maybe being event specific or do you know how he steers that ship or her if it's woman uh we definitely focus on more so like what am i missing but in regards to what's coming up okay like obviously if i feel like i'm missing punch but we're about to approach the tour de france we're not gonna search for that punch because mm-hmm. the tour you're still going to be logging in huge mountains and you don't really need the punch mm-hmm. so um yeah it, it, it's kind of a mix i guess okay no that's cool what's uh, anything uh, about cycling that really intrigues you right now that's maybe like changing and whether it's in the pro peloton or just changing in cycling that you're kind of like man that's wild hmm. i don't know I think, uh, I think the biggest development that I want to see what will happen in the end is uh, how long it'll take us to switch to tubeless. So tell me more about that because everybody loves that I still ride tubes for everything, and they're like, "Dude, you're so far behind the times." I'm like, I, to me, changing a flat when I flat, it's very knock on wood rare. It's easy. I've used tubeless. It's a mess. I don't have my own mechanic, and I'm like, "Why am I doing this?" So. You like tubeless? I do like tubeless. Yeah, I ride them in training and in racing occasionally, not always. Uh, we still use a lot of tubelers, but uh, yeah, we're experimenting a bunch. We're always like trying out new things, trying out new compounds for the tires, trying out different uh, widths of the tires, obviously, as well. 
uh, and yeah, just trying to find one fastest, second safest. But I think right now with the tubeless, the biggest thing is just making sure that if you puncture, if you just hit a huge pothole and you lose everything from your mm-hmm. uh, tire, that you just don't find yourself on the ground face down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to see how that develops. I think, I mean, I, I love tubeless. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep riding them. I, I, I see why people don't, but at the same time for me, it's, it doesn't feel like it's a big mess. Yeah. If you puncture and you actually have to deal with a huge amount of liquid still inside, then yeah, you get dirty, but uh, I can deal with that. I don't puncture that often as well. Mm-hmm. Cool what's what do you think is the best piece of advice maybe thinking back to you know 2011 or maybe even 10 before you become pro best piece of advice for those younger athletes that are like on the brink trying to make a living being a pro cyclist what would you what piece of advice would you give them and has that changed at all i mean it's probably a little bit different now than when you got into into the game I think it is definitely different now. Uh, it's quite, I feel like it's quite harder now. Uh, just because when I really, when I turned pro, I barely had a power meter. Whereas now it seems like you already juniors have power meters. And I kind of don't like that because people forget to listen to their body. Um, but then again, sometimes you see guys doing crazy power numbers or whatever and just get signed on their, I don't know, Strava files which also seems insane. But I think the one advice I would have is just remember to actually uh, be human first, athlete second, because even if you are super good and suddenly you get a contract, it might be a short contract if you're being a douche. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Toms. Well said. And I mean, also, if you want to have a long career, you actually need to be like a proper human where you can lift, uh, I don't know, a backpack and not throw your back out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because the more you, if you only ride sooner or later, you're going to st- start having little injuries and then they're, they're going to blow up. And I think if you take care of your body besides just cycling, then, then you're, you're going to be in a good spot and you'll actually be able to ride and enjoy riding for a long time. So that actually makes me think of when we're talking about strength training, do you do strength training more just to be a strong human as opposed to like cycling specific strength workouts? I do both. Okay. I definitely do both. I, I think November, December is more just good human. And then it just kind of switches to more specific uh, workouts. What would be the uh, more specific the ones for cycling that you like? I enjoy quite a lot of uh, one-legged lunges uh squats and whatnot uh but at the same time also some uh yeah some explosivity in there thrown in be that with weights or without weights either okay but yeah i mean when i talk something specific is just more uh more about the legs than anything else cool what's then so you kind of answered the question a little bit you know in this day and age, what do you think it takes to become a pro besides, you know, you mentioned like, Hey, you might just have crazy power, but a lot of other people are like, well, it's not just power. You got to like show that you can race, but 
you know, there's, then there's like the social media aspect. How much does that play into being a pro? Like how marketable is this person? What's, what are the things that the non-pros don't know about being pro? I don't think social media will get you a pro contract. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely your ability to race. Mm-hmm. Some guys will do that with just their power and be zero in tactics, be zero in positioning, but they can ride around everyone when it's single file and they don't, they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be guys that are more like me where they don't hit crazy numbers and they just know how to race. They can read race and they can get results in that way. So I think uh, it really is about, yeah how well you can execute not really what gets you there but uh that you actually get there awesome my last question for you so this is kind of flipped and me coming from the states a lot of athletes they you know they might be able to get to the conti level here but then they just don't have the race resume or doing enough of the races to really get seen by people in europe you kind of, you know, you were in France, then you came over and raced with Hincapie's team. And so I'm assuming still did races in Europe, but you're on an American team. Was that tough being away from home for so long? And then you're on this U.S. team before you go to Candel Draypack in the world tour. How was that kind of like, you know, growing into this pro life and being on the road a lot, I'm assuming? What was that like for you? Well, As a kid, I already started like being on the road quite a lot um, because we used like Latvia gets freaking cold in the winter. So we used like school holidays to go for training camps pretty much. Like take the last week off and the first week off in between school holidays. So you get like three weeks away. And then, I mean, yeah, sometimes we would spend New Year's and Christmas not at home even before we were 20. Uh, so I think just that already kind of taught me to, yeah, live on the road, let's say live out of suitcase. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you sooner or later, you're going to have to be independent. So I think that, uh, the sooner you start, the, the better headway you get and the less of a struggle it'll be when you come to Europe and have to spend a month and maybe, finally cook for yourself for the first time or do laundry for the first time you know yeah so i mean it's easy to especially when you are at home it's easy to have people around you that can actually help you Mm -hmm. like if you mess up they can say oh well this is actually how you do it Uh, so i think just learning life skills at home is already a good good step forward Mm. that's awesome so i guess i lied my last question would be so you're (laughs) you're 30 right now yeah. Yeah. So where, how, where do you see this all going? What's your, do you have like uh, where, what you want to be doing in five years? Are you still racing? Are you taking it year by year? How's that unfolding? I actually would love to retire in LA Olympics. Okay. But that's still seven years down the road. So we'll see. It's a long ways. Uh, if I, I mean, actually, if I make it another if i have another two-year contract i'll be actually already now i'm very happy with my career um i would have never imagined being pro was never a dream of mine i didn't didn't really follow cycling when i was a kid Mm 
the first time I started following cycling some races when I was probably 18. I didn't know that it was actually something you could have as a lifestyle or whatever. I did it for fun. I still do it just for fun, actually. Yeah. But yeah, I'm uh, pretty happy with how far this has gotten me and uh, where in my life I am. So if it were to end tomorrow, that's fine with me. But okay. if I can choose, I would ride all the way to L.A. and uh, retire there. Would you retire in L.A. or are you going back to Latvia? Uh, not. Well, I wouldn't live in L.A. <laughs> Where do you want to live after? Are you going you want to go back home or just travel around and. Well, my wife is from the U.S., so we're going to live in the States. Cool. Hey, man. Well, awesome. As long as they let me in. Uh, okay. We're, I think you're married, so can, don't you automatically get in? I don't know. They always find a way, yeah. Dude, thank you for doing this. This was awesome. Really appreciate you pulling the curtain back, and we wish you the best of luck. People will be rooting for you, and uh, hope you have a great rest of the year. Thanks. Thanks, Appreciate man. Take it. care. Bye. Yeah.